All right, now I need four volunteers that are blast-aged. I need four blast-aged volunteers. Blast is K through fourth grade ministry. Who's going to blast today? Raise your hand if you're going to blast. Yep, I need four volunteers this morning to come up front. Four, maybe two guys, two girls. All right, right on, Brandon. How about two bigger people? We got anybody in the fourth grade? Third, I don't know. Oh, hey, Haley. Oh, man, we got lots and lots of volunteers. Awesome. Good deal. All right, so you guys ready for this? Are you guys ready? Awesome. Okay, so we're going to do something really cool for everybody before you guys go to blast. Are you ready? Yeah? You're standing way over here, dude. All by, there you go. You're all right. We're going to have a race. Now, I just want to be very clear. Our insurance does not cover what's about to happen, okay? So just go crazy. But we're going to have a race, and this is the line right here. I'm going to stand right here. You guys line up right here. Come right down here. Who's fast? Anybody fast? <gasps> right on. All right. Stand right here by me. Line up. We're going to go this way clockwise. And there's, if you look, there's not, we're going to go this way. We're going to go this way right here. Turn around this way, brother. Right? We're going to run around the chairs and back to here. Okay? Now, you got to line up straight. You got to line up this way because it's not fair. Otherwise, getting head starts here. Kylan, come up here. Brandon, come on up here. You guys ready? Are you going to run the race? Anybody want out? Does anyone not want to run the race now? You're like, I don't want to do this. Right on. You guys are eager. Okay, you ready? I'm going to say go, and whoever gets back here first is going to win. Okay? Yeah? One, two, three, go. You guys took a shortcut. Woohoo! That was awesome. Nicely done. All right. So, man, you guys were pretty fast. All right, we're going to try something else then, okay? I'm just going to mix it up a little bit. Huh? We're going to blindfold you guys now. No, we're not going to blindfold you. Here, Brandon, you come down here, and you come right down here. And this is what we're going to do. Put your, put, put your foot. Let's go this way right here. Right? All right, check this out now. All right, put your legs close together here. All right, now, here's the key. And all the moms out there are going, oh, this has got disaster written all over it. <laughs> Don't hurt each other. You're going to run again. Are you ready? Are you guys ready? Okay. Don't hurt each other. Are you ready? On your mark. Get set. Go. Go, girls, go. Go, run, run. You guys too, go, fast. <laughs> That's about what it looks like right there. Okay, hold up, guys. Woo! Hey, nice job, ladies. <laughs> Somebody's untie those two. They're going to be tangled up all day over there. Awesome job, awesome job. Man, you got it, Lance. Let's see if we can slip, maybe slip Brandon out I there. You did a pretty good job. Oh, I did. I'm pretty good. There, you can hang on to that. So, man, what happened? What happened, dude? Was that fair? No. Huh? No. Hey, good job. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. You guys were so fast. All of you were so fast. 
Awesome. We're going to go ahead and dismiss you guys back to BLAST, and all the BLAST te teachers and BLAST students can head back as well. Next Sunday, we're doing more races. I actually thought I, could, I was going to try it with adults, and I'm like, I won't get four adults up here probably to do a, a race around the sanctuary. Maybe I would have. I want to start with a reading from the, the book of Psalms, and we're going to jump into the Word, and we're going to talk about what happened up here this morning. This is what the psalmist writes. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh God. You hem me in, behind me and before me. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go to flee from your spirit? Where can I run to, from your presence? If I go to the highest of heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day because darkness is just like light to you. Because you created me in my innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And listen to this last part. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Please join me in prayer this morning. Father God, as we come into your house, such knowledge is too wonderful for us that you knew us before the beginning of creation, that you knit us together in our mother's wombs, that you were sovereign over every day, every breath, every life, everything that we experience and do. And today, Father, we come here into your house to learn more about you. In fact, Lord, we find our very purpose in you. We find our very definition of who we are in you. And we acknowledge today, Father God, that we are yours. We acknowledge that you are ours. We want to know you more. For whatever's happening in our life, I pray we would, we would trust that you are sovereign over this moment, that we could hear you clearly. We ask that your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom and discernment that we could understand the word that you inspired people to write, that we could know it, and that maybe indeed we could live it together in a way glorifying to you. May you bless all those who are proclaiming your word today, myself out here, the blast teachers in the back, the students, the folks that are gathered here in your name. May you bless us as we proclaim good news to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. So that was kind of a funny exercise. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a three-legged race. That's why I said don't hurt each other. But it's a crazy thing to be tied to someone else, right? Um, I really know what the outcome was going to be, of course, and I didn't know who's going to come up and do it, but it was funny because I knew someone would be faster and some would be slower, you know, and sometimes in life it's like that. 
And, and, and what we're going to talk about today is this idea that God calls us to commitment sometimes, right? That, that God is calling us to be committed to, to one another and, uh, and to himself. I love that the psalmist writes today that um, he knows everything about us, that there's nothing about us that he doesn't know. And, and if you're like me, there's like some stuff that you probably think, man, I wish, I wish he'd forget. Like, I, I wish he didn't know that about me. Maybe there's some things that he knows about you and me that we don't even know about ourselves yet. And, and so when we, we see something, we're like, I, I can't do that. I can't, I can't go on. And we don't understand that he knows us better. He knows us better than we even know ourselves. Psalmist writes in such glowing words today about the, um, the ways that he knows us. I'm going to talk about a few key relationships today that we, I just want to walk through it, and we'll see what God does with our time, but I just want to talk about this, this idea of committing to one another. I know for many of us, when we, you know, the very idea of committing to someone just sends shivers down your spine, you know? I mean, you begin to examine how, how fast are they, how good are they, how, 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 how much are we going to be, you know, able to do this together properly, there, there, there's this tendency, you know, um, to want to take a knife and, like, cut that thing loose, you know what I mean, when we're bound up with someone else. We, we just don't trust it very much. Some of you guys know me, right? I'm a child of the 70s. Some people have said I'm a child of the 80s, but I'm a child of the 70s and 80s. You know, I had the beautiful privilege of being born at the very beginning of the, the decade of the 70s. Um, last night, Chris and I were working in our house, and we, I rocked out some disco, which didn't last very long. She's like, okay, can we turn it off? Because she was totally tired of hearing it, right? Um, I think it's my love of bass, by the way. It comes from disco, you know. But one of the things that happened that's interesting culturally in our country in the 70s was this. It was this idea that, that was kind of launched uh, into the arena of marriage. And it's called the no-fault divorce. What's funny about this is I never knew this was something that happened like right after I was born, right before I was born. I didn't know that was the case. I, I thought being raised that, that it was always that way, you know, that if there's any reason that anyone doesn't want to be together, you don't have to be together anymore. That's silliness. But it turns out, if you do some research in our country, it was about 1970 that they started saying, we've got to have no-fault divorce. No one's wrong. You just can't continue together. Marriage is a tough thing to talk about because it's one of those things, it's one of those relationships that binds us up in such a profoundly intimate way that, that, that to take it apart elegantly seems impossible. It seems impossible. I know some of you are, are people who've been through divorce, right? I, I know some of you have, almost all of us, I mean all of us, right, have experienced divorce more or the other. But the dividing of the tendons, the, the separation of, of the unity of marriage is so profoundly difficult, maybe impossible to do, that, that we begin to be resistant. You know a couple of things that have happened since a no-fault divorce was instituted? The average age for marriage was pushed way back in our culture. Isn't that interesting? That whenever the idea came that no one had to stay in it, people were less ready to get in it. That's kind of interesting to me. I've talked to parents who are very concerned about their kids. I have kids myself. I'm very concerned about my kids. 
And we say to them things like, hey, hey, enjoy your life. Don't be in a hurry to settle down. Have some fun. Maybe we even said, go sow some wild oats. Get it out of your system. I think there's so much of the philosophy of the world in us that we don't even recognize it anymore. One of the things I've heard repeatedly lately, this is what I hear, whatever makes you happy. Ain't that right? I mean, specifically about marriage and commitment. Whatever makes you happy, that's what you should do. That's what we should all do. Seek our ultimate happiness. It's amazing to me that we live in this time. I'm not here to say, oh, look, the world's gone to, you know, uh, to hell since the 70s. I think the world's been there for a long time. We're broken, sinful people. 70s didn't bring that. Disco didn't cause it, you know. But what's going on in our culture, our commitment to one another, I think it's worth looking at today. Today I want to um, read with you from the Gospel of Matthew, and this is going to be in Matthew chapter 19. If you brought a Bible, open it up. If you didn't bring one, go ahead and grab one of ours. It's on page 689 in our Bibles, and we're going to read just a few verses here together. This is Jesus' teaching. The Gospel of Matthew is one of the three synoptic Gospels and the four Gospels of Jesus about the good news of Christ with us. And this is what's recorded in 19, chapter 3. Some Pharisees came to him, that's Jesus, to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? That was their question. Okay, so I want to stop. So right away we have these Pharisees, and we talked about the Pharisees lately quite a bit actually, but they come and they ask the question, is it, pa- is it true that you can get divorced for any old reason you want, for anything you want? I'm always struck by people who ask open-ended questions like that. Here it says clearly they came to test Jesus. Um, I'm always reminded that often, this always goes back to like the Garden of Eden with the serpent on the tree. He says, is it true that you can't look at it or touch it? Did he really say you're going to die? And you see, if you look through it, there's like half-truths all mixed in, you know? Did he say that? No, he didn't say that. He said you would die. He didn't say don't look at it or touch it. Is it true you can get divorced for any old reason, the Pharisees asked? I love Jesus' answer. Check it out with me. He begins this way. Haven't you read? Haven't you read? Now, who are the Pharisees? These are like religious people. Have they read? Yes, some of you nodding. Yeah, the Pharisees had read. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees had read what you and I could read if we wanted to, and it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, right? And it says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, he writes her certificate of divorce and sends her away. Now, if you've read this or you're astute or you turn there, you'll realize I, in the ellipses I cut some stuff out because it goes on to talk about if that woman goes and marries another man and that man's displeased with her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and sends her away or he dies and then she goes back and marries her first husband, it says her, her first husband is guilty of sin. Okay, we don't have time to get into that today. But the Pharisees are asking, is it true that you can divorce a woman for any reason at all? And Jesus says, haven't you read this passage? Look at what that, I just want you to see the starkness of what the word says. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, 
And he writes her a certificate of divorce, and he sends her away. That was what the law said. Displeasing to him. And I tell you, that, that, that kind of strikes me as pretty harsh as a rule. Pretty harsh. Jesus says this. Haven't you read, now look at what Jesus does, that at the beginning the creator made the male and female, right? And said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one. Whatever God has joined together, let men not separate. And then why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce like we just read here? And he says this, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way in the beginning. Every time I have the pleasure of doing a wedding ceremony, we always remember and we always talk about the idea that, that in the very beginning, when God created man and woman, he said, this is the reason a man's going to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. Now, this is interesting because the Pharisees come asking a question about what a man can do. And we're going to walk through a couple of applications of this in our lives. But they say, is it true that we can just send our wives away for any reason we want to, right? And Jesus says, do you not know that in the beginning God created this so that you would leave and cleave? And the key difference is this. Jesus says that God draws you together. That God binds you up. You're like, wait a minute. We weren't asking about what God did. We're asking about what man does, right? We're not asking about the intention. We're asking about the legality of it all. Jesus one-ups it when he says this. Whatever God has drawn together, let no one divide. Let no one divide it if God drew it together. And that's a far cry from if a man marries a woman and she becomes displeasing to him, he can write her a certificate and send her Away, You see, for Jesus, he sees this idea of commitment and marriage as a God-honoring thing, not about men at all. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife to be one flesh. They'll become one flesh. I say this is why it's such a painful thing to separate from someone who God's drawn you into a relationship with. It's like ripping yourself in half. But there's still a tendency, isn't there? to believe the lie. If I wasn't committed, I would be faster. If I wasn't committed, I would be better. If I wasn't tied to this person, I could win the race. But they're dragging me down. And so we get out our scalpel and we try our best with precision to separate bone from marrow, you know, muscle from muscle, heart from heart in the thing that God has drawn us together in. Jesus says, what God joins together, let no one separate, let man not separate. Well, you were given this command because you had hard hearts, but it was not this way in the beginning. I tell you that anyone, Jesus goes on in nine, you think it's hard, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness has, and marries another has committed adultery. Now, I want you to see what happens. So he says, if anyone divorces for any reason besides marital infidelity, they're committing adultery. And look at what they're, the disciples are so freaked out by this. They say, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to get married. 
That's what they say. If this is the way it really is, it's better not to be married at all. Jesus goes on. Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it's been given. For some are eunuchs, right, because they were born that way, and others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven, they're celibate. Those who can accept this ought to accept this. I want you to see something real quick, okay, and we're going to jump into another verse or scripture passage, but Jesus does not renounce singleness. He just says, if you're married, it's going to be hard. But God is in it. But he does not say to you, if you're single, you're broken. He actually says that some people were born to be single. Some people will be single for the kingdom of God's sake. And some are single because of situations or because of the man-made circumstance they find themselves in. He does not relegate, you know, singlehood inferior to marriage. Now, this is a hard thing because I know some of you, the old joke, I was a Greenville College student, right? And the old joke at Greenville was, you know, girls go to get their MRS degree, right? I mean, and I got to be honest with you, and my son isn't here today, but we sit in there because we're like, man, there's a lot of good ladies at Greenville, you know, some quality followers of Christ, you know, I mean, a prayer of a father, you know, Lord, you know, uh, he's sovereign over my kids' relationships, but that's not a bad thing. But we've done this thing where we've created this kind of weirdness where people want to be married but not, and then they're afraid, and, and then they feel like if they're single, they're broken, they're not complete, and we're going to talk about all that. All that. And maybe, and maybe you've been through divorce, and you're like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have come today because, you know, I don't want to hear this today. I think God has a word for all of us. But I don't want to miss the fact that the disciples' reaction is, maybe it's better we wouldn't be married at all then. Maybe that's the case. The truth is this, and the first thing I want you to see from Matthew is this, that the idea to remain single or be married is a call from God. And even if you didn't know God when you got married, it's still a call from God to be married. I believe that's true, and I think we're going to find support for that in Scripture Turn with me, if you would, to um, Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, again, page 796, if you um, are using one of our Bibles. And I have to find it here myself. There we go. So this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and, and we're going to jump into the middle of this, but he's writing to them because they've decided in Corinth that maybe it's, not, it's better to not be with anybody anymore, and maybe it's better to not, you know, have any marital relationships and, you know, be involved with the opposite sex in any way, to bind yourself in any way to anyone um, for the sake of the kingdom. And he picks, we're going to pick it up with him in verse 7. Paul says this, continue the thought that Jesus made about singleness is not brokenness. I wish that all men were like I am, right? But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, the other has that gift, right? So again, Paul sees this idea of relationships and commitment and marriage as a gift given from God to us, whether that's singlehood or marriage. It doesn't matter. It's a gift from God either way. Look what he says in verse 8. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. So that's Paul's witness. I'm unmarried and it's good for you to stay unmarried. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry because it's better to marry than to burn with passion. That's such a funny verse and we're not going to dig into it too much, but I think it's funny that Paul's like, 
if you can't handle it, go on and get married. You know, like if singleness is too much for you, go on and get married. Now, I don't know if we can do this, but you know, is anybody like that? Did anybody know like from an early age that, man, I gotta get married? Like, gotta get married, quick. Anybody? I felt that way when I was 13. I'm just being honest with you. I mean, I sat down with a priest that told me the story, and he talked to me about, you know, this lifelong absence thing, and I'm like, oh, nope, you know? Not because I was a pervert or broken or weird, but because I needed a wife, you know what I mean? Like, it was this thing in my life. I just needed, I just knew it at some gut level. It was not going to work for me. Sorry. I, ironically, I was, I was having a conversation because I was considering the priesthood, you know, sort of. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Sorry. The idea is that Paul says it's better that you would be married than that you would put yourself in a situation where you're desiring it so much when God's called you to marry. It's the gift from him either way. So we shouldn't, you know, look down on one another. That's, that's pretty interesting to me, right? What are you called to do? Who is God calling you to be with? And believe that he's sovereign over all of that. It's so huge in our lives as believers in Christ that he has called us to be married or called us to be single. We must know these things. Or called us to be single for now. For now. That's all appropriate as we follow Jesus. Let's pick it up here if I can find my place. Okay. It's better to be married than to burn a passion. Verse 10, to the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Okay? And so he's speaking to the believing community, and they are so sold out for Jesus. Like, we're all get divorces and be free to follow Jesus wherever we want to follow Jesus. And he's like, no. Matter of fact, we're going to tell, we're going to, Wrap up here with why that's the case, but check it out. I'm going to read on. To the rest of you, right, those who are not married to a husband or wife who's believing in Christ, I say this, I am not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Here's Paul's instruction to us. If you're married to someone who does not believe what you believe about Jesus Christ, it is not your God-given calling to divorce her so you can follow Jesus. These are Paul's instructions. I love, by the way, that says, if she's willing to live with him. <laughs> Whew, that's a tough one sometimes. If a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him either in the same way. Now, that's interesting to me. That's interesting to me. I've talked to people before who believe that. Yeah, but I wasn't a believer in Jesus. And, and, and God's calling me to do something really important for him. And I'm convinced if I could just put my wife or put my husband away, I could follow him faithfully. We've seen stuff where people who are believers have left non-believing spouses for each other in the name of God. And Paul's instructions are like, no. Why? I mean, the question is, is God always sovereign or not? Do we believe what the psalmist writes when he says that all of my days were numbered? You knew them full well before one of them came to be. You know my thoughts from afar. You know whenever I sit down, when I stand up, when I walk, when I lay down, when I sleep, what I do. You know everything. So then we have to ask the question, well, was he absent that day? Did he just, you know, hit the snooze button the day where we chose to enter into this covenant? 
with another person. I don't believe that's supported in Scripture. And so Paul writes the same kind of idea. You must not divorce one another because you're married to someone who doesn't agree with your faith life. Paul goes crazy. Listen to 14. Because the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Paul puts up this kind of idea of marriage that is so high and holy that he says, if one of you believes and you're one flesh with the other one, the other one can't be left behind. I know some of you, maybe like me, that just tweaks your theology. You're like, nope. I remember what I heard. But Paul writes here, the, the husband will be sanctified by the wife's faith. The wife is sanctified by the husband's faith. You're not called to divorce one another, to be more holy, but to sanctify one another. As a matter of fact, I would even say in a Christian relationship, the truth of a, of a God-honoring marriage is you sanctify one another. I know that's what happens in my marriage. It's the hardest thing ever. But you become more Holy following Jesus together, even if your spouse is not believing in him at all. Paul goes on to say, otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, your children are holy. Here's God correcting me for a third time in three weeks about the holiness of children. I have to sit with that, (laughs) okay? As it is, your children are holy in your relationship. 15, but if the unbeliever leaves, here it goes, let them do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in circumstance where they are left by an unbelieving spouse. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And here's the key to all of it. 17. Nevertheless, each one of you should remain in the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. What Paul is saying is that God is no dummy. He knows who you are. He knows where he has you. And he's not making mistakes. He's not screwing things up. And he says, therefore, trusting in God's sovereignty, we stay. We stay. We bear the burden. We love each other well. Even when we don't agree even when our spouse is slowing us down. Are you with me? Because you know the thoughts. It would be so much better. It would be so much better if I were free. Don't believe that. God is sovereign. He knows you. He knows your spouse. And this is true, by the way, whether you're married yet or not. He knows you. He knows your spouse. Trust in that. Trust in his calling you together. I had the great opportunity to talk to a friend of mine. I hadn't had this experience because I wasn't a believer whenever I was courting my wife. And uh, I had this experience where someone said, man, I want to get married. God's calling me married, but I don't know. I can't find a woman, and I don't want to go to bars to find one. He had a conviction about that. What do I do? And I said, man, let's pray. Like, let's pray for a wife for you. Let's pray to God, and let's pray that he would give you peace and patience in your heart until she shows up. Right? Anybody in that situation right now? I encourage you to Pray. Trust that God has numbered your days. He knows your spouse already. 
The beautiful conclusion for that story is that he brought her a beautiful wife. Amazing. I'm not going to say it's going to be always that way, but that's what God did. Honored his faithfulness and his prayers. Called him into a loving, God-honoring relationship. Praise God for his sovereignty. Nevertheless, each one should remain in the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Often, we find ourselves looking around and saying, I would be better if, I would be better if, okay? We're going to wrap up with this third passage. This is from Ephesians. This one's a little heavy, too. We're going to jump into it, both feet, okay? Ephesians, this is the classic marriage thing, right? And, and we're going to come all the way back around because I think that there's a truth about this binding that we can acknowledge today, whether we're married or single. There's a truth about what God's doing in the binding today. Read with me, if you will, starting in verse 21. Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. This is Paul's command to the church in Ephesus. Submit to one another out of reverence, respect for Christ. 22, wives, to your husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body, for which he is the Savior. It says wives are to submit to their husbands. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should to their husbands in everything. This verse gets us in a lot of trouble. I'll just be honest. It gets us in a lot of trouble, you know. But it's no different than 21, which is submit to each other. It's the exact same thing. 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I mean, Paul has a high view of marriage and what we're called to do. Love our wives as Christ loved the church. 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. That's an amazing passage of Scripture. And I tell you this, both of those things seem like a binding that's a burden. I mean, we hear it all the time, you know, about I'm not going to talk about the whole submission to my husband thing. I'm not doing that submission to my husband thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to play that game, right? And, and, and that we're refusing that binding. I will not be bound to this man. But I tell you what, I see as many men who will say, I will not lay down my life for that woman. I will not do that. I am not going to keep this thing on for the rest of my life until I die. And you might end up looking like there are two brothers up here this morning where one of you is walking, dragging, and the other person's on the ground being drugged along in life. And if you're a real man, you reach for your boa knife. Not to kill anybody yet, right? But to put it in there and just go, I'm free. I'm free. And I will now be able to run my race unhindered. That's a lie. We are called to love our wives like Christ loved the church and died for her. You know what that means? That means whenever she falls over, you help her back up. It means whenever she needs to go slower, you go slower. It means whenever you need to stop, you stop. Not running ahead, dragging her around. And the same is true for the wives bound up in 
this submissive relationship that we have together. I'm telling you, God works in incredible ways in your marriage if you let him. If you let him do his work. In the same way, he who loves his wife loves himself. That's profound. Okay. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are all members of his body. That's Jesus. For this reason, here it is, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife until he become one flesh. Remember, Jesus said, don't let anyone divide that. And Paul says this about marriage. It's a profound mystery, marriage, but I'm going to flip it. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Paul talks this whole passage about what marriage looks like, and at the end, he flips it around. He says, I'm not talking about marriage only. I'm talking about Christ and his church. I'm talking about Christ and his church. And then you know this because he goes back and he says, but you should love your wives and respect your husbands. What's happening in the passage here? This binding this three-legged race that we're in is a binding to Christ himself. That's the truth. If, you, if you've been committed, if you're in a committed relationship, your committed relationship is not about you and your spouse. It's about you and the Lord and yourself, what Christ is calling you to do if you know him as your Savior. He's not outside of your marriage. He's in it, even if your spouse is non-believing. It's a truth. And as a matter of fact, the real trick is that if you begin to recognize that this binding that you find such a burden is actually Jesus in your life and he's causing you to do some things that you would never do naturally, like walk differently, act differently, love differently, you begin to see that he's redeeming your life through your marriage. But there's better news than that. Because for every person, whether single or married, we are bound to Christ. That's the truth. He says this is a profound mystery, not because of marriage is a mystery. The disciples say, how can we do this? But because God has committed himself to us. That God, who made all things, reached down in Christ and tied us to himself. And all of a sudden, we learn to walk differently with Jesus because we're bound to him. He committed to us. I want to walk backwards through this real quick and see all the ways that Jesus is committed to us, his people. As if you're single, he's committed to you. Don't believe you're on your own. He has bound himself to you if you know him as Savior. It says, this is the reason a man's going to leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Christ came to us to be united to us, to die, to pay the price for our sins, that we could be free in him but be bound to him forever. Today, in a minute, we're going to do something where we partake Jesus together. He's in us. He is with us. We are all members of his body. That's the body of Jesus. No one's ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it. Jesus feeds and nurtures and cares for us in our life. Again, whether you're single or married, don't believe you're out there on your own, fending for yourself. It's a lie. God 
is with you. That's the good news. He's feeding and caring for his bride. That's us. He's bound us to him in love and mercy. He's going to present us to himself as radiant, wrinkle-free, stain-free, without blemish, holy, and blameless. He's redeeming us, redeeming us like that unbelieving spouse, making us holy by his presence. Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her, for us. You see, the truth is that as much as in our marriages, we would say, I don't want to submit to my husband, we are called to submit to Jesus. I am a bride of Christ. And I am very uncomfortable with that concept. I want you to know. The whole wedding veil, the whole dress thing, I don't get it, right? I feel unworthy to be chosen by him, and yet he says, you are mine, and therefore my job is to submit to him as part of his bride, That's my call in life, to be bound to him, to submit to him, to walk how he walks, to let him set the pace, and to not believe the lie that if I would just cut myself free from Jesus, I would be free indeed. He is our only path to freedom. In the book of Galatians, I want to share this this, uh, passage right here on the screen. What does that mean then to be bound to Jesus in a three-legged race, whether you're single or married? What does it mean? And this is what Paul says it means. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Live by the Spirit. Actually, the way it translates really is peripateo, walk by the Spirit. This binding that we have, this eternal promise we have in Christ is bound up in the Holy Spirit of God. And sometimes, and I don't know if you're like me, but you start to go the wrong way and you get that tug back. And, you know, sometimes you pull a couple times. You're not walking. I'm not walking in synchronization with the Spirit of God. The Word says, you want to know how to please God? Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. So you don't want to, you don't want to wait anymore for a spouse? Walk by the Spirit. Don't gratify your sinful desires. You don't want to stay in your marriage anymore? Walk by the Spirit. Don't gratify your sinful desires. The truth is that we are given this gift of binding, commitment from Christ himself. And um, I don't know, it's uncomfortable. It's hard. And, And sometimes I do fall down and Jesus just drags me around like that. Please pray with me if you would. Father, for the way that you're binding us up together, I give you praise and glory. For this miracle of Christ in us, with us, the gospel that you so loved, the world you came to die, to set us free, but not free without you, free in you, I give you praise and glory today. Father, we know, we feel the pull of your Spirit's prompting. We feel the binding that we have to holiness and it makes us uncomfortable because we know we're not yet. And still we trust you with the walk. We trust you with the walking around. I pray, Father God, that for my brothers and sisters here today that haven't yet made that decision, they, they've not submitted to you. 
I mean, not that we can bind ourselves to you, that we can tie the knot. We don't have that power. But that we could just offer our leg and say, here, walk with me. I'll walk with you. I'll do this the rest of my life. I'll do this no matter how fast or slow I have to go. I pray, Father, that you would work in their hearts to release themselves, to submit to your Holy Spirit and your prompting today. I pray, Father God, that as we learn to walk in a new way, you would continue to remind us of your good news, that you are with us, not against us, and it's for our good, not our bad, that we're where we are today. And we give you praise and glory because you are worthy from now to eternity to be praised forevermore. Thank you so much for the time we've had today in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.